Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels. You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, and in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, please. His name was Frederick Marshall. And he saw that tree from a distance. His mother said that if ever money grows on trees, it grew from that elm, that million dollar elm, on Agency Hill in Pahuska, Oklahoma. The Osage Indian chiefs didn't know how old that elm tree was, and it didn't really matter. It just kept shade when the weather was good from the hot sun blended in with the gray stone of the Osage Nation courthouse and of the sky. Frederick Marshall was there in his mother's arms in 1924 when oil men from around the world would come again and again, week after week, to that elm tree the Osage called the Million Dollar Elm to bid on Osage Indian leases. And as a young boy in his mother's arms, Frederick Marshall was there when 160-acre tract of land went for lease for just shy of $2 million. Under that million dollar elm, as they called it, the Osage Indians became the richest people on the earth. And Frederick Marshall grew up in Tulsa. He raised a family. He had a career in manufacturing. And one day when he was 80 years old, he got a letter in the mail from the Osage Indians. He opened the letter up thinking about that million-dollar elm that he saw when he was a young boy, and he read it. And he read that he had received a head right 
Though he himself was an Osage, he'd received a head right through an inheritance from an Osage Indian. There had been a clerical error, though, the letter said. And actually, the letter had awarded him this inheritance 40 years earlier. But for some reason, because of a clerical error and because he was an Osage, he got lost in the shuffle. And here, Frederick Marshall, 80 years old, read a letter that he had inherited, in fact, millions of dollars and, in fact, had had access to this money for over 40 years. And when he read the letter, the first thing he thought was the first thing you and I would think. (laughs) If I had only known how different my life might have been. Psalm 103, friends, is like reading an inheritance letter, not from the Osage Indians, but from the one true God. And he addresses it to you, and he addresses it to me. But you have the important decision this morning to decide whether Frederick Marshall got the better letter or you get the better letter. Is it worth millions of dollars to you? King David would argue that it is worth far more than that. Notice in the text, if you lower your eyes to your bulletins and look, or your Bibles, notice that it says it is a psalm, first what? Of David. The other psalms you studied throughout the course of the summer have said this is a psalm of David when he was on the run from Absalom, or this is a psalm of David after his sin with Bathsheba. But here it just says it's a psalm, what? Of David, with no context. And that's very intentional by the scribes who understood the context in which David wrote this. And David indeed wrote this because it reflects the state of our souls no matter what your emotional state might be today. Are you confused? Psalm 103 is for you. Are you depressed? Psalm 103 is for you. Are you overwhelmed with joy? Psalm 103 is for you. But David says, notice, the very first thing that he says in the psalm after he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Again, he says says it. And then he says the key to the whole psalm. Here it is in verse two, second half. And forget not all his benefits. You see, Frederick Marshall got a letter when he was 80 years old. But I'm giving you a letter when you're 23, 43, 53, 83. You get the letter now. And you have the important decision to make today whether this inheritance letter is for you, in fact, far more beautiful than the one Frederick Marshall ever got. There are three things I want you to see in this text. It's the three things that David lays out. They're the three benefits of grace for anyone who is in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, then I pray and plead and yearn for you to come to know him this morning. And in fact, know that this inheritance letter that we're about to study is far better news for you than that inheritance letter that Frederick Marshall got from the Osage many years ago. Three benefits of grace. Number one, your justification. That you are declared righteous by God in his sight. Number two, your sanctification. That you are accepted by God and no one can ever take that away from you. And he is at work in your life. And number three, your glorification. That you will one day finally and fully be made human. Yes, made human, because you're fallen human now. And you will one day experience what it means to be fully human, just like Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. 
So, I know these are the, the, uh, theological words, but let them settle in what they mean for you. Your justification, you're declared innocent in the sight of God. Your sanctification, he is making you more holy and you're accepted in his sight as his son. And your glorification, that you will one day be fully human and you will rule together with him in his glorious kingdom. Look at verse two, please. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Any of you ever had to write a memo in the office? Like, you know, you know those memos that you first start writing when you're new on the job and you're a little nervous because you don't know how they're going to be read? And so you think back in your technical writing class in college where it said you have to do an executive summary and then you have to explain exactly what you meant in your introduction. It's though David knew exactly what it was like to write a memo because he gives us an executive summary in verses one to five. And then, and then he takes and he explains those three aspects throughout the course of the psalm. I want you to lower your eyes and notice where I get the points of the sermon. Look at verse six. It says, the Lord works. The Lord, that's Yahweh. That's the covenant name for God. Then down at verse eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious. There begins the passage on sanctification. And then at the end, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. Some of you laugh at me sometimes because I always pull three points out of every text. Well, here, David gives them to you. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, three times because he wants you to know your justification, your sanctification, and your glorification are the benefits of our inheritance in Christ. So first, your justification Look at verse three. It says, who forgives all of your iniquity. He's writing the executive summary for God's people and he says, look, God forgives all of your iniquity. He forgives all of it. And the amazing thing is you meet more people in Owasso and you find out that in fact, far fewer people understand the gospel than you might first think. That when you begin to talk to people about their faith, they begin to talk about how, yes, the Lord forgives my iniquity if... And then they go on and tell you about their religion. Hindus believe the same thing, by the way. Oh, the Lord will make me at peace with nature and with him if I pray enough and I go on enough pilgrimages. Muslims believe the same thing, by the way. The Lord will forgive me if I keep the five pillars. Buddhists, the same thing. Listen, we think, where are the Hindus, the Muslims, and the Buddhists in Owasso? We may not call it that, but you and I have a religion that's so syncretic, it's very similar. Oh, the Lord will forgive me if I go to church every Sunday. And he'll forgive me if I send my children to Awana. Oh, he'll forgive me for missing every Sunday for the last 10 years if my son makes it to the major leagues. Christianity, friends, is absolutely and utterly unique and different and offensive at the same time. It's absolutely unique because we are a people who are justified. We are declared righteous in his sight. We are deemed innocent. We are declared innocent of all crimes against the Lord. Not because of our work, but because of the work of another. And I know some of you have heard this a million times, and even now you're starting to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But listen to the inheritance letter. You've been declared innocent from all of your sin. I mean, the opening ceremonies has nothing on that. God has said, I know you, Chris. I know you, Les. I know you, Amber. Listen, you're beautiful in my sight. 
And as Mike led us earlier, what is justification? It is an act whereby God, not you, by God declares us innocent and righteous in his sight because of the work of Jesus, removing our sin from us, and not only that, but clothing us with his righteousness. Israel was shocked whenever Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, 4, no one has ever seen, no one has ever heard, there's been no eye to perceive or an ear to hear a God like you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. That's good news. It says that all are oppressed. The all there, some of you are getting your theological guns up. All, does that mean all the world? No, it means all of Israel. How do you know that? Well, look what else he says. He says in the next line through Hebrew parallelism, it says uh, down at verse uh, six and seven, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. God is speaking here of those people who are in Christ, who know him and who he knows, his people. They are forgiven. They are no longer oppressed by their sin. You are freed from the guilt of your sin, though not from its grip. You are freed from the penalty of your sin, though not from its power. You are freed, yes, from the declaration that your sin causes you to be at odds with the one who made you for all eternity. Oh, but at the very same time, through Jesus, what? You're being made more and more like him. Sometimes if you're like me, it's ever so slowly. It's like a snail's pace. But you are being made more and more like him. How do you know this is true? Like, how do you know this is true? Well, David, notice as he gives you an explanation of what he means by this benefit, look what he says. He says, he's made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. God delivered Israel out from bondage in Egypt, and he delivered them through Moses, and he set them in the middle of the wilderness. And what did the Lord do when they were in the middle of the wilderness? Did he leave them on their own? No. He led them. Guys, he gave them a cloud to give them protection from the sun by day. And he put a giant furnace in the sky at night to keep them warm called a pillar of fire. He led them. Though they were completely wayward, though they were like people who were, um, they were train wrecks, he was faithful to them. His steadfast love was faithful to his people. He fed them. He fed them with manna in the wilderness. He didn't just leave them on their own, but he gave them food to eat in the wilderness. It's amazing. God gave them free food. He gave himself to them, and he protected them. He protected them from all the pagan nations that saw this wandering tribe of people. He protected them for four, an entire generation for 40 years. That's amazing. And David says, you want to know how you're justified? Look back at the people of God throughout history. See how God protected them. And if we can look back at Israel and say they had Moses as their king, how much more can we as New Testament believers see Jesus, who Hebrews 3 says is the far greater Moses, 
Just like the architect is greater than the building. Just like if you go to Bartlesville and you look at the only skyscraper realized in the world by Frank Lloyd Wright, right? The Price Tower. Like you look at that Price Tower and you're like, that's amazing. It's this, but you don't praise the tower. Nobody's worshiping the tower. You immediately think of Frank Lloyd Wright. That's amazing. What an architect. Moses is for us a shadow of the work of Jesus. And just like in history, you can look back and you can see that Moses delivered his people from bondage. If you're, if you're not a Christian, you're totally skeptical. Read the records. Like, let's go tit for tat. Nobody argues on TU's campus whether or not there was a mass migration out of Egypt. 1876 BC, nobody's going to argue about that. It's true. Just like there's historical record that says there was one, a Yeshua, who they claimed to be raised from the dead. And there's record of the one Yeshua being crucified by the Romans. Listen, we are not people who rest on an idea. This is not fairy tale religion. It's historical and it's a fact. And you want to know what the benefits of grace are? They are your justification in Christ. You know how you know that? You look back and you see his finished work for you on the cross. The second benefit of grace to you is not only your justification by faith, but it's your sanctification by faith. You are sanctified. You're made more holy in his sight. Look, it says, you who who heals all your diseases in verse 3. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. There it is, the executive summary of your sanctification. You are delivered from the pit. You are rescued from the sure grave that is due to all those who are in sin. And yes, though you sin personally in the Lord's eyes because of the work of Jesus, you're you're seen as completely and utterly righteous and innocent. That's good news. And not only that, but you are adopted into his family. You're not just crowned, you know, like if you're adopted to my family, hey, you're crowned an Altman, you get a house, and you know, welcome to my family. It's really not that great. But to be crowned by the king of the universe who flung the stars into space and knows each of them by name, kids. Do you know that your father in heaven, your earthly father is just but a shadow of the father you have in heaven who loves you. And he accepts you completely as you are, but he loves you so much that he's not gonna leave you as you are. You notice if you lower your eyes down through the passage, it says he will, verse eight, the Lord is merciful and gracious. There's the key word, the Lord. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. David undoubtedly is still thinking about Moses because that's exactly what Kendall read for us earlier. That's exactly what it says in Exodus 34. That the Lord is slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. And what happens? And though he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, he forgives iniquity and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. By no means clear the guilty. If you're an Old Testament scholar, you know that in Exodus 34, God says, I'm gracious, I'm compassionate, but I will in no way clear the guilty. And here David in Psalm 103, stay with me, says that he will not always chide and he will not keep his anger forever. So I'm confused, David. You just said that it's about Moses and Moses said that God 
will by no means clear the guilty. And then here you say, well, he won't always keep his anger forever. Well, which is it? Is it David or is it Moses? And he's very intentionally doing this because David is remembering, oh, David is remembering the truth that though he wasn't there, it's the truth nevertheless that Isaiah gives many years later where he says, we all like sin have gone astray, each to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's both. God's anger went down with right hot fury on Jesus. And because of Jesus' finished work for us, he's able to clear the guilty and declare them innocent. That's good news. When it says that um, as a father shows compassion unto his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The word compassion there in Hebrew, listen, is the word that he uses elsewhere like in Isaiah 49, 15, where he says, like the compassion that the Lord has for you, right? This will help wake you up. Is like a young child suckling at his mother's breast. Told you. It's like a young child who is at the bosom of his mother. And it's reminding them that though she, will f- she may forget her child, and of course she never will, so much more will the Lord, will the Lord never forget you. It's the same word that some translations, the old King James calls it pity. It's not a very helpful translation because that's not exactly what it means. It means a compassion that is all-consuming. You know the story in 2 Kings chapter 3, there's a story where there's a woman whose baby dies and she goes away and remember it? 2 Kings 3, 26, and she takes the baby of another woman and this woman who wakes up and sees that her child is missing runs to King Solomon and says, Solomon, wait, Solomon, she took my child. And the mother who has this new baby that's not her own says, no, 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 she took my child. And here he is in a quandary. How do I decide to whom this child belongs? And the mother, the real mother, says, no, 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 it's her child. Because Solomon knew that the only way to determine the discrepancy is to say, okay, I'll cut the child in half. And the real mother immediately says, no, 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 I'm the liar. It's her child. And she knows in saying that she was the liar. Was she the liar? No, it was her child. But it was her compassionate love for her child that says, Solomon, you can take my life for the sake of my child. And Solomon immediately knows who the real mother is and he gives the child back to his real mother. Jesus is the same thing. The father does the same thing for you. He yearns for you like a mother who wants to give her life up for her child. And as a father has compassion upon his children, so the Lord has compassion over you. Guys, that's big time love. You're not only justified in Christ, but you are sanctified. And part of your sanctification means you are adopted into his family. And you're made more and more like him the older and older that you grow. Isn't that good news? It's better than an inheritance letter that you get from the Osage. Or is it? That's for you to decide. Third, verse 
19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. This, this is his glorification. This is the promise that one day God will come and make all things right. This is the promise that we have in Romans chapter 8 where it says that those who God called, he also justified. And those he justified, he what? He also, as if it had already happened, glorified them. And here, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all, which means that when you sing and worship on Sunday morning, you are a snapshot of your future. When you are singing before your children or you're praying for your children, you're giving them a glimpse, you're giving them a little portal hole through which they can see heaven in your home, in your family. Because it says, bless the Lord, O you his angels. Verse 20, bless the Lord, all his hosts. Bless the Lord, all his works. You're standing with all of the angels and all the hosts of heaven and even all of the trees and mountains and birds and wasps and you are worshiping the Lord. That's your glory. That's where we're going to be. It's going to be awesome. If only you had eyes to see it. Friends, the Lord gives us an inheritance letter. And it tells us that we will one day be glorified. It is our hope for the future. It is our hope to not respond against violence with violence because we know that one day the Lord will put all things to rights. It is our only hope in the midst of suffering because we though do not, do not know why we're going through suffering. We know that the Lord certainly has a reason for it even though he may not choose to show us on this side of the grave. And this is our hope as his people. Your justification by faith, your sanctification by faith, and your glorification by faith. Oh, but we are a people who are so prone to forget. Forget not his benefits. Remembering is such an important part of your spiritual growth in grace. Why is it that Every time somebody pays me a compliment, it's like I forget it. The moment they say it, it's like ether into the air. But if somebody criticizes me, or if I see an image that's vivid or graphic, it lodges in my heart for days, sometimes years. Why is it that when somebody pays you a compliment or says something nice to you, you know, you almost you kind of Brush it off. Like your memory doesn't really recall it. But if you see a graphic image or you see something horrible or you have a vivid experience that's negative, you remember that almost your entire life. Why? Because there's something wrong with our hearts that causes us to remember the bad things better and the good things worse. And it is only the gospel it is only the application of the gospel by remembering Jesus' finished work that allows us to turn those vivid images over to allow those good images to actually to hold those in. And the best images you can have in your life are reading that image of that letter. Psalm 103. You are justified in his sight. You are sanctified in his sight. You are glorified in his sight. That's good news. That's the inheritance letter that you always wanted to read. And here it is. Reading Psalm 103 is kind of like putting your toe into the ocean and saying that you have touched the bottom. 
Psalm 103 has got depth we could spend on for an entire year. And so therefore, I've given you a very few, only seven, community group questions to think about. And if your community group is a community group that doesn't go through the sermon questions, listen, that's okay. If you're fostering fellowship together, that's okay. But I want you to know that those questions are for you. They're not written without great intention. Use those in your private devotions with the Lord this week and allow yourself to marinate in Psalm 103 and read your inheritance letter. Read it in the first person as though Jesus were writing it to you. Because notice to whom does David address this letter? Bless the Lord, who? Oh, my soul. David is reminding himself again of what he knows to be true, but he has to help himself remember and so do you. To bless the Lord is not to praise him. It's weightier than that. It is the opposite of curse. It sounds weird as Reformed Presbyterians to say, bless the Lord, or Lord, I bless you. But it is biblical and right, because to bless the Lord means to align yourself with all those desires that the Lord has for his own glory and to desire those things for God's glory and take joy in them. It's to say, Lord, I delight in who you are. I delight in the fact that you love me. That is the source of my greatest delight. That is why I can be satisfied with good, as it says in the text. You need to be able to remember. So use those community group questions this week. God knows you need to remember. That's why he gives you one day in seven, what? To rest and to come again to hear God's word preached to you because we are so, oh, we are so prone to forget. So like Frederick Marshall, friends, I want you to look at the distance at that tree. Not the elm tree on Agency Hill in Pahuska, but that cross on Calvary. Not where wildcatters and oil men gathered to bid on leases, but where sinners and broken people come to hear their Savior say to you, I love you. I know your name. I'm doing this for you and for the glory of my Father. As the old hymn says, praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet your tribute bring. Ransom, healed, restored, forgiven, evermore his praises sing. Alleluia, alleluia. Praise the everlasting king. You have an inheritance letter. You're justified in his sight. It's painful, yes. But you are being sanctified in his sight, sometimes through suffering. And friends, have hope because you will be glorified in his sight. Is that better to you? than millions of dollars. You decide. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will help us to bless you, O our souls. And Father, we pray that you will help us to see the inheritance we have in Christ and to not just take it as though it's our own inheritance to do what we want, but help it, Father, to push us out. Let us not forget our justification by faith but let us know that you have cleared us of our past and we are absolved from guilt. Though consequences of sin continue, yes, we have been declared innocent, though, of all 
guilt. Oh, Father, help us to know that we are accepted in your sight. So give us the confidence that we so often lack. Help us to rest in the fact that you know us, and that is enough. Father, thank you that you will one day fully glorify us and make us human. Freed from our sin, no more fallen humanity. We will be humanity as we were intended to be in the garden before the fall. Perfect like Jesus. Together with all the angels and all the hosts and all of nature and renewed creation, sing unto you, praise my soul, the King of heaven. Help us, Father, to you our tribute bring. In Jesus' name, amen.